0: this Father's Day. My son Caleb is here with us, three years away in Japan. Woo! What a gift to me. A couple of years ago, my son came and surprised us at Christmas Day, knocked on the door, Caleb was there, Woo! just as happy. So it's uh, a wonderful thing to celebrate Father's Day today. And without uh, apology or in completely unashamed, I'm going to talk about the joys and privileges of having a loving father. And the joys and privileges of being a loving father. And <clears throat> when we think of dads, when we think of quotes, there's various things that float around cars and homes that make fathers what they are. Uh, dads have a top ten, don't they? Of have lines that they use. They learn them. I don't know if they get them from their own fathers or they pick them up in some cyberspace somewhere. But uh, there's some terrific sayings we associate with fathers Um, here's some typical dad quotes that I've heard of and uh, I've used a few Uh, don't worry it's only blood dad's used that one Uh, I'm not made of money you know that's another one Uh, I'm not sleeping I was watching that show Uh, I said that and I fall asleep in front of the telly I'm not just talking for the good of my health that's another one Um, a little bit of dirt never hurt anyone just wipe it off I don't know if you've got that one. How about this one? We're not lost. You ever heard that? Uh, Ask your mother. I don't know if that's the number one. One of my favourites, I think, I don't know if I invented it, but I've used it a lot, and it's this one. Sometimes pain is the only teacher. My kids, I've used that one. And uh, no, we're not there yet. And the, the one I like the most really is don't make me stop this car. When mums say it, it's not quite the same as when dads say it. Because dads make you go out and get your own stick that they're going to beat you with. And you come back with this little stick, and he goes, that's not a stick. Goes out and groups off a tree branch. Oh, daddy, daddy. I'm just joking. So when we think of words and lines, we often think of powerful lines, fun lines. When we think of words, powerful words in our universe, in our experience... Uh, What would you consider to be some of the most powerful words? Maybe God, maybe eternity, grace, forgiveness, any other words? How about the word Father as a powerful word? I might have told this story here before, but I will tell it again because it's worth telling again. I was driving my car in wage and while I was past for nine years, or we driving down the back streets of some godforsaken road in wage and dirty, and you know, it was raining, and I used to listen to this radio show called Vision FM, a uh, Christian radio station, and occasionally they have this, this segment called Focus on the Family, and there's an Australian group who have this uh, show, and the director of that is a guy called Greg Ferguson, and he started telling this story, and it's one of those moments where I pulled the car over and started looking for pens and pieces of paper to write down. It tells the story of an American uh, <clears throat> prison in Minnesota that had 5,000 prisoners, a male prison. And one day Hallmark Cards, as a promotion, said, let's go in on Mother's Day and let's provide a card for the inmates to... Write to their mothers. They went in on Mother's Day. It was, uh, the lines were so long, men had to wait three hours to write their card. They ran out of cards three times, had to go back to the factory three times. It was such a success. They said, wow, that was incredible. Let's do the same again for Father's Day. They got there set up. Not one man, not one male prisoner wrote a, prison, wrote a card to their father. Can you imagine the power of that word, father? That is a powerful word. That's why I showed that video about um, Paul Anker saying that song, Papa. Had a deep impact. And I want to encourage dads out there, and I want to encourage everyone here to encourage the dads of your life to be the best fathers they can and support dads in their endeavors. If you have a good father, a good husband, they are a gift from God. We may have had checkered histories with our own fathers, good, bad, or ugly. But I'd like to springboard into the thought that God is our heavenly father and any shortfalls that we may have experienced in our own fathers, um, whether they be malicious or, or just you know, non-malicious mistakes our heavenly father can make up what can we learn from our dads what can we learn from dads i want to talk about jesus dad joseph we can learn from dads and i think one of the great uh, stories in the bible is jesus dad joseph and fathers have a very powerful effect on their lives i was reading some research i'd be very interested in the doctors in the room's opinion but uh this the most interesting research i've read recently as i was preparing for the sermon praying it through was a a research project they did where they did MRI scans on children as they were looking at photos of fathers and mothers in their lives. So they're doing the MRI scan as they're showing them these photos. And mothers' faces elicited very interesting activity in the brain, including those parts of the brain that were associated with face processing. But when they showed images of fathers, in contrast, it elicited activity in a place that I'm not really sure of. It's called the chordate, and that's a structure associated with feelings of love. Isn't that interesting? You would have thought perhaps the other way around. But there's something that happens in a child's life when they have an involved father, and there's a lot of research being done, and I read some of that research, and I read a systematic review of 18 studies, research studies, that show that children who have engaged positive fathers are much more likely to be involved in positive activities in their life, to be socially developed. And really interestingly enough is that girls who grew up with a high quality father who spent more time with a high investing father showed the lowest level of risky sexual behaviour. I thought that was really interesting. Obviously, the effect of a loving male role model in the lives of young women affects the way they see that part of their life and so i think we can learn a lot from fathers and i as i researched the bible and looked at different parts and different father figures i came upon joseph and i thought my goodness because i was looking for quotes in the bible from fathers and it really struck me that of all the fathers in the bible you'd think joseph would have a quote there but he doesn't get one joseph says nothing in the bible there's not one word that we know what joseph said in the bible And uh, there's not... He listens and he obeys. And we might assume that his words are recorded because we can imagine his conversations he had with Mary and with the angel Gabriel. We can sort of hear him talking to the innkeeper, can we not? But he doesn't say anything. Uh, He fades from the scene. We visualize him teaching Jesus about his carpentry. But he, he fades by the time Jesus begins his ministry... Joseph is no longer around. He's not mentioned in Scripture. And it's widely thought that Joseph was much older than Mary, and when Jesus began his ministry, Mary appears alone. And though the Bible doesn't say she's a widow, uh, we assume that Joseph has since died, because he's only uh, mentioned um, in that sense. He's mentioned uh, in the past tense. So a life of Joseph speaks to us a lot, and it can help us and help us learn about what we can, meant to be. And so, I think uh, there's three things I just want to bring out. Typical, I just picked out three things that I see. And the first thing that we see in Joseph's life, if uh, as we go through this, i just read this passage for us, and you can pick out these things yourself. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And that's what the name Jesus means, uh, Saviour. All this took place to fulfil what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Saviour, God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home to be his wife or as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. So what can we learn from dads in Jesus' father, uh, his stepfather, the father who raised him as a child? Well, I think we can learn a number of things. And the first thing that jumped out at me is this. That Joseph's life teaches us that we need to be people of righteousness and spirituality. And you can read those verses there as I speak. Joseph probably thought his life was pretty well planned. His marriage, his vocation all arranged for him. He was a carpenter. But his world came crashing down. He discovered that his bride-to-be was to be, was pregnant. And we know that Joseph was a man of integrity. He wanted to do the right thing. And he wanted to do the right thing the right way. He considered divorcing Mary when he learned of her pregnancy. But he wanted to do so without calling attention to the reason. Whereas he could have led her to public disgrace or perhaps even being stoned uh, to death for adultery. And back in Jesus' day when people became betrothed, it was, if that, it was as if they were married but they just lived in separate homes until the day of the wedding. But they were married in every sense except with consummation, without coming together sexually. And so you can imagine, no matter what other people thought in that town, Joseph knew that that baby wasn't his. You know what I'm talking about? And I can imagine what Joseph must have thought. My goodness. Let alone what other people thought. So he had the moment of opportunity to say, this is not my baby. He wanted to do it quietly. But instead of that, he risks being questioned about Mary's pregnancy and he marries her. And as I mentioned, in those days, the marriage contract was worked out between families and the engaged couple lived at home with their parents until the wedding. The townspeople could well have thought that Mary and Joseph didn't wait for the wedding. And you might think nothing of that today in the 21st century Perth. But it was only 50, 60, 70 years ago when it was like the unpardonable sin, ladies and gentlemen who are my age. Do you know what I'm talking about? Especially in Christian circles. Hebrew circles. Joseph takes that shame upon himself. He didn't have to. This tells me a great deal about Joseph. It tells me that because of his love for Mary... And his spirituality, he's willing to have a spiritual conversation with God. He's a spiritual man. God reveals himself to Joseph and says, don't be afraid. Joseph was afraid. Joseph, out of that spirituality, is prepared to take the shame of Mary, the public shame, by marrying her. And I think God, of all the men in the world, chose Joseph to do that for Mary. I mean, we know a lot about how God chose Mary. She's a righteous girl, a woman of honor. And God said, you know, you're blessed amongst women because you're going to bear the son of saviour of the world. We often talk about Mary. But have we ever thought about the fact that God brought about circumstances where Joseph would be married to Mary? Of all the men in the world, God chooses Joseph to be that person. And as I see Joseph willing to take in love, out of spirituality and love, a deep love of God and an openness to God willing to take the shame of Mary, I see an echo in what God has done for us in Jesus. Now when you and I, in our brokenness and woundedness and perhaps hard-nosed, hard-hearted sort of betrayal of God's love, holding God's love at a distance, running off and doing our own thing, committing spiritual adultery, saying, God, I'll run my own life my own way, I'll seek satisfaction just the way I want, God says, I can't give you up. I'm, I could, but I can't. And I'm going to step into the universe, and I'm going to step into the world, and I'm going to bear the shame that you bear in your heart and your soul in my son Jesus. And I think we see an echo of Joseph, an echo of Jesus in Joseph, That just as Joseph stepped up and bore the shame, the Bible tells us that Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, we should look to him because for the joy that was set before him, he faced the cross and endured it. And the Bible says he thought nothing of the shame because of the joy. What was that joy? It was the joy of knowing that at the end of that, human beings could be one with God. And their shame and brokenness and guilt could be dealt with and humans could embrace God with a clean heart. Don't we have a good father? We have a wonderful father. And we see that in Joseph. And I see that we can learn to be those type of people too. Uh, The Beatitudes teach us that blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Joseph is seen as a righteous man, but one of the attributes of his righteousness is not perfection because he did consider divorcing her and had every right to do so but he was open spiritually to god and out of that he was willing to bear the shame of mary all the perceived public shame and make that his own and ladies young ladies if you're looking for a husband you'll always know you've found a keeper if he's a man of spirituality and a man who is prepared to bear your shame with you because who, who amongst us is not perfect? Or imp, who imp who, who is perfect? None. I got that wrong, sorry. But you're willing to sta- stand beside the brokenness and the woundedness of our souls and go, I'm in this with you forever. And that goes both ways, I know, but we're talking about fathers today. It's a good way to look for that prospective husband. That's the first thing. The second thing, so we learn that we, he's a man of righteousness, spirituality. Secondly, Joseph's life's teach us that we need to be humble, gutsy, faithful, protectors and providers of those that we love. And so when they're gone, the Bible says, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. This is a bit later. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. And then after being warned by God in a dream, he left the re- for the regions of Galilee and came and lived in a city called Nazareth. So what this teaches us is that at every step of Jesus' life as a father and as a husband, Joseph was open To the leadings of God. And in the midst of that he did what it took to protect his family, and he provided for his family. And he was prepared to take the lead in that. Notice that God does not reveal himself to Mary to go to Egypt when there's danger. This is just you know a little bit later in in Matthew, where all the children of Bethlehem are killed by Herod. And before that God reveals. God doesn't stop that for some reason. We don't know why. All those children died. God didn't step in, but he protected Joseph. And sometimes we can't understand the will of God. We're never really told that we have to. We just know that God is good and that God is good enough to die for us on a cross. And that answers all the questions we have about God's work in the world. It is good, even though we don't get it sometimes. But Joseph was the one whom God revealed. And when he was in Egypt for a couple of years, then he came back. At the leading of God, God was open to Joseph, and Joseph was open to God, and Joseph protected his wife and provided for his wife while he was there. And although Joseph came from the royal lineage of David, we can easily picture him as a humble man who was a provider. And this is a passage from Exodus, uh, and I think it applies to Joseph. He was a protector. God showed him to go to Egypt, when to come back. Joseph was attentive to those words and obeyed without question. And we get this portrait that he's a quiet, unobtrusive man, but make no mistake, he's a man who's a leader, who's prepared to take the spiritual lead in his family in his own humanness. Now, I've never met a human father who wasn't imperfect. But uh, I've met human fathers who, in their imperfection and woundedness, are seeking to lead their families in Christ. And ladies, if you have a father like that, or a husband like that, you should support them. And not roll your eyes when they get it wrong. And if you're looking, young ladies, for a future husband, look for a man who, even in his humanness, And as a man, is willing to lead and walk beside you in spiritual things. Especially concerning the person of Jesus. And Joseph was that type of man. He was a provider as well. Even when he wasn't wealthy. When Jesus was dedicated at the temple, we know from Luke that he was dedicated at the temple... Joseph didn't offer a bull, which was a rich man's offering, or a lamb, which was the offering of the poor, but he offered the least offering, which was two turtle doves, two pigeons, as it says in Leviticus. These are the regulations for a woman who gives birth to a boy. This is Leviticus. If she can't afford a bull or a lamb, she's to bring two doves or two young pigeons for a burnt offering to the Lord. And a sin offering, and make atonement for her son and herself. So Joseph brings the, the least of the offerings, two turtle doves. He's a poor man. He can't afford anything else, even though he's a good man. But he's willing to step up and be a provider. He's willing to be a provider in his brokenness and his, uh, his humanness. Looking forward to fathering his own child, Joseph was faced to being a stepfather in humbling circumstances but he trusted his life to God and he sought to be a good provider a good protector and I think it's one of the things that men do well there's something in us that wants to step up you uh, you often see this I'm like this in my family I sort of stay out of things sometimes and then suddenly it just rises in me and I'm like I've had enough and I just go in and and poor old Maggie she has to deal with it these days I, I, I'm like, oh no, it'll be all right. I sort of, they're yeah, fine, fine. And then suddenly I go, I've had enough of this. Blokes step up. There's something in us. And Joseph was like that. And it seems that Joseph never gets the big starring role in Christmas plays, but he's a guy who's important in caring for his family. And when our lives take a difficult turns, because the the, the, the the title of this message could be, When Life Takes a Nasty Turn, how do we, What Do We Learn from Joseph? Because uh, these things didn't happen out of a nice, comfy life. These were really difficult circumstances for Joseph and Mary. So how do we respond? Well, like Joseph, he could have cried out, Hey God, how come? Why not? How about me? How can you do this? But like Joseph, we can hear that still small voice saying, Trust me. God comes into Joseph's life and says, it's okay, I'm in charge. It's painful circumstances, but it will work out for your good in the end. All things will work together for that. So I think we can learn from that, from Joseph, to be a protector and a provider. And the the third, so we can learn not only to be people who (coughs) are people of integrity and spirituality, but we can also learn to protect and provide. And the last thing, that we can learn, is that he teaches us that we need to be people of love for God and for our families. Joseph was a man, it's been said that the best thing for a father can do for his children is to love their mother. And Joseph's love for Mary reflected the Apostle Paul's definition, which, of course, comes from God itself. Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not proud or rude. Love is not self-seeking or easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always persevered. So instead of being indignant, Joseph is loving and that's what we see in his heart we see him take mary and jesus away to protect he brings them to the temple to serve and to dedicate to god and he's a loving father and joseph became father to jesus the messiah who would teach us all about what it's like to be upheld and to be uh, upheld in the grace of god And I think those images of fathers holding their children uh, and nurturing them and protecting are wonderful images of what God can do in our lives. And Joseph had the privilege of raising the man that the world calls Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, Son of God, Messiah. What a wonderful privilege that would have been. Now we all know that Joseph was not a perfect father because he was human. Uh, We're told that after Jesus was born um, that Mary and Joseph had children of their own and these children did not become believers in Jesus until after Jesus' resurrection. In spite of all their upbringing uh, with Mary and Joseph or what they would have told their children about the miraculous birth of Jesus, Jesus' brothers and sisters refused to accept it. And parents suffer that burden sometimes that burden that they love Jesus but their children do not love Jesus uh, and it, it breaks their heart. Uh, it breaks their Heavenly Father's heart more but we share that burden. Uh, parents can tell their children uh, about life but they can't make them moral people. They can lead their children spiritually but they can't make their children believe. They can love their children but they cannot give eternal life to their children. Only God birds eternal life in us as we let God take our shame as we let God take our guilt, and we see an echo of that in Joseph, who was willing to bear that shame alongside his bride. What a wonderful man. Can you sense it? What a wonderful man he was. I would have loved to have known Joseph. He was a righteous man, the Bible says. And as a simple, simple description. The Bible's generally a very understated book. But when you see a simple word like that, All that we know of Joseph, a shame bearer, a protector, a provider, a spiritual man. The Bible sums it up in that simple phrase, a righteous man. And we can learn a lot from him. One of the great Christian writers of the 20th century, J.I. Packer, said in his book Knowing God, he said, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much that person makes of the thought, the thought of being God's child, of having God as their heavenly father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls that person's worship and prayer and their whole outlook on life, it means that they don't really understand Christianity very well at all. At the center of the Christian life is a father in heaven who sent a son, who sent a spirit, that they might dwell in us and make their home in us doesn't mean we become God, but as Peter says, the Apostle Peter, we become partakers of the divine nature. God lives in us in a miraculous spiritual way, a way that gives us life and takes us to a whole new form of living. And we're transformed from one degree of glory into the, into the image of Jesus through the transformation of our mind. God renews us. And I would encourage every person here today to give your life over to the, to the Father and Saviour who stands beside you as Joseph did to Mary in the face of our brokenness and our woundedness and perhaps our shame, hidden or otherwise. Let him take our hand and look us in the eye and say, it's going to be okay because we'll be in it together. And the Bible calls that transaction faith. It's an abandonment of all that we are into the arms and protection of another. And God calls us to do that by giving our lives to Jesus. You may never have known Jesus before this moment. You may never have given your life to him, but I encourage you to do so. We're going to spend some time now taking communion. And communion is a ceremony where we gather together and we remember very particularly all that Jesus did for us on the cross. And what Jesus did on the cross was bear the brokenness and woundedness of humanity. And the night before Jesus died, he gathered his disciples in a room, an upper room, and the Father was on his mind. It says this, Jesus says these words, I will talk to the Father and he will provide you another friend, a counselor, so that you will always have someone with you. This friend, this counsellor is the spirit of God, the spirit of truth. You know him because he has been staying with you, alongside you and he, he will even be inside you, within you. Jesus had his father on his mind as he was preparing his disciples for the terrible events of the next day where he would go to a Roman cross of torture and bear a pain and a shame in a very physical way and in a very spiritual way, where he bore all of our shame, all of our fear, all of our guilt, our hidden shames, our hidden guilts. And he bore it upon himself and dealt with it fully in the cross and in the in the grave. And he rose again as the author of life. Did you know that Jesus could not have risen from the dead if it hadn't been fully dealt with? He'd still be there dealing with it. So he's now the author of life, and he says to his disciples before he died... I'm going to institute a little ceremony that you're well familiar with in the Passover, the Jewish Passover. But I'm going to bring new meaning to it today. And when we take this bread, and when we break it and remember the Passover, I want you to think of my body broken for you on the cross. And when you eat this, do so in remembrance of me. And then after supper, he took the cup, and he said to his disciples, As you've drunk this in the past, in remembrance of the Passover the blood that was sprinkled over the doortops of Israel so many years ago, this now has new meaning. It now represents my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus said, as you take this and remember these, do so in remembrance of me. And so we celebrate this from time to time as a way of remembering all that Jesus has done for us. And as we take up uh, these Elements. I invite you to take them as you receive them and uh, eat and drink of them as you receive. And then at the end, when we've all eaten and received, I'll pray for us. And um, this morning we haven't asked uh, any particular people to serve, but perhaps you've come this morning to with not only a heart to receive communion, but you've come with a heart to serve others. And I just invite uh, maybe three people to come if you feel God has led you to serve our congregation in handing out our communion elements to come forward now and and be a servant to the rest of us. Thanks.